Welcome back to another episode of Fantasy Football with Gumbo. My name is Ja. I'm Hugo. We are here with another episode for your head tops. More fantasy football tips, tricks, and advice to help you bring home that Shiva. This week, we want to do you guys a solid. We, the last few weeks, have been going uh, through divisions, you know, kind of one by one. We've been breaking down hella players and a bunch of different teams, and we've been spending, you know, 10 minutes on each team. God damn! So we still got a good four divisions to do, and uh, you know we got two weeks until the season starts. So this week we're going to do two and one, and next week we'll also do two and one, just to save you guys some time and allow you to get you know even more research into your schedule. So this week we're going to talk about our personal favorite team and also our hometown division, the NFC North, and then we're going to go ahead and uh, go out east and talk about the NFC East. So do go. Let's talk about the Packers. Dog, you know what it's all about. You know, it's the green and gold. Let's not cut the shit. Let's talk about the reason why they are the best team in the world. You're goddamn right. Aaron Rodgers? Aaron Rodgers, dog. So when we're talking fantasy-wise, this guy's going around QB 12 right now. So if you're talking like a 14-team league, you know, let's cut it down a bit. Let's talk about like a 12 or 10 team. How about this This episode we'll do 10-team 10 team numbers because it's easy cool. to calculate. Yeah, so you're probably thinking about taking Aaron Rodgers around like that early ninth round, I would assume. My man's is probably going to be a top 10 quarterback this year just because of his numbers. You know he's going to get his numbers out because Rodgers likes to handle the football. Like, if he's, like, he doesn't like handing off 40 times a game. That's just not him. No, he's going to get his little short tosses in just to be a part of the game plan. Yeah, and you know that he's going to win a third MVP in a row. Like, it's just a God-given thing. So, you know, if you're taking Rodgers late, if you're oh. looking for a quarterback late, I respect Aaron Rodgers in the ninth if you're in a 10, or, yeah, in a 10-team league. So, when you look at Aaron Rodgers, he's going behind guys like Dak Prescott. He's going behind Tom Brady. He's going behind Jalen Hurts. And last year, Aaron Rodgers finished the year as QB6. Right. So, I think right now, if you can get him around that QB12 range, like, yeah, he lost his favorite target in the world. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, I feel That's like facts. if people are still taking Patty Mahomes as QB2, and he lost literally the same thing to him. Terry Kill. I think that we can at least assume that Rodgers, a proven veteran, is going to make it work with these wide receivers. Like, I just think that him going QB 12 right now and you can get him in the ninth, that's a steal. So, Patty Mahomes' next best weapon, obviously, or maybe even the best weapon to start, is Travis Kelsey. Right. He's a big part of that offense, and for the Packers, a big part of their offense is now going to be the run game. So, that brings me to A.J. Dillon, who right now is going, he's going kind of at a good value. I think he's right now being drafted um, as the 66th pick. And a lot of in a lot of leagues, and yeah, so kind of like in like that fifth, like mid fifth round area, typically. Bro, if we keep it a ten team, that's you know sixth. going after the six. So that's crazy. AJ Dillon has a lot of potential because a lot of people are drafting Aaron Jones in the second, right? And AJ Dillon could see maybe I don't know, fifteen and twenty percent less work. But if we're projecting Aaron Jones to potentially finish, and right now his ADP suggests that he's going to finish around you know that RB eleven mark, right? I don't think it's out of the realm that A.J. Dillon finishes as a RB2. No doubt, dude. I think he honestly is going to finish around RB15 just because of how much they're going to utilize the running backs. Touchdowns. Right, dude. I think that he's going to be the red zone machine there. I think that 
when you're looking at it, if you want to look at like past experiences, I think AJ Dillon could honestly end up being almost like a mm-hmm. like a, a James Conner this year, like where you had the receiving back in uh, Edmonds mm-hmm. in Carolina or uh, with the Cardinals. So and then obviously James Conner came up and just swept the floor, but they're going to be utilizing the fuck out of these running backs this year. So I just don't think that honestly we could see two top ten running backs. On this team right now. We could. Uh, so, tell me what you project for Aaron Jones this year. Aaron Jones finished last year as RB10 in PPR and RB13 in Standard Leagues. Right. And uh, and AJ Dillon, he's finished as 23 in PPR. So, I don't think that Aaron Jones is going to see any sort of uh, decline in touches or anything. I really don't. Just because from the receiving work that he's going to be getting. Mm-hmm. I think that on most downs that he would typically be out, mm-hmm. I think he might just slide out into the slot. And I think that A.J. Dillon, when it comes to, like, red zone work or, uh, like, shorter, you know, like, shorter yardage situations, he definitely just slides in. And then I think that Aaron Jones is going to be seeing so much work this year. And I think that A.J. Dillon, like I said, I think he could be a top 15 running back just with the increased workload that he's going to be seeing this year. Who's the receiver that you want off the Packers offense? Right now, I have to say Romeo Dubs. Just because right now, if you're talking a 10-team league... Romeo Dubs, okay. If we're talking 10-team league, dude, you might be able to get this guy in like the 15th round. Like Mm -hmm. If if you have like a 15-round league where you only have 15 players... Like, this could be just, like, the late-round flyer, like, what you could have done with Brandon Ayuk when he was a rookie. Yeah. And when he absolutely popped off. Yeah. Like, Romeo Dubs could be that guy. He looks to be really impressive through camp, and we'll obviously have to see how that translates into the real season. For sure. Me, personally, even though I've been kind of talking shit about him, I mean, Alan Lazard probably the... He's probably the safest The pick. safest, because I think that even if he's not as great of a receiver as Devontae was, or... Yeah. Even the wide receiver one that people are projecting him to be in fantasy. I think that Alan Lazard naturally is going to see more targets than anyone else. No doubt. And that's really going to help out his value. Because right now, if you look at Alan Lazard, he's going pretty late in drafts. Alan Lazard is going off the board as the 96th player in fantasy. Right. Right. I think off volume alone, he sees somewhere around 70-ish catches. He sees his fair share of touchdowns, and he signs a new contract in Green Bay. I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt if he gets right around, like, 90 catches this year, Doc. I'm not going to lie. If Rodgers has him as the wide receiver one and he's going to be out there the most, mm-hmm. I could just see him just getting those, like, short grabs like Devontae used to get. Just, like, those cheap touches. And PPR, those are valuable. Yo, before we get off the Packers, though, I just want to talk about one little sleeper, and that's Amari Rodgers. If he's going to be getting some work in the backfield... I think that this guy could end up being a sneaky little slot play or a flex play that you could utilize down the line if you have injuries or anything like that. Because I think even in like 16 team leagues, this guy isn't getting drafted. He's not getting drafted at all. He's so a free agent. He's, I think that yeah. Amari Rodgers could be your sleeper this year if you're looking for someone on the Packers that could see some work. Uh, you know, just to get off that, let's talk about one of the best running backs in the league, at least in my opinion, and that's Dalvin Cook. Dog, this guy is going, like, anywhere between, like, the 1-3 to, what, like, probably, like, the 1-8-1-9. He's being drafted as the 7th player. Yeah, dude. Like He's RB5 right now. Dude, like, this guy's pretty dank. Like, I hate the Vikings. Like, we just got off the Packers. But Dalvin Cook is my lock, or one of my locks for Vikings this year, at least who I would love to draft. 
it'd be that and obviously Jay Jets. Mm-hmm. When I look at uh, the Minnesota Vikings offense, they just got a new coach, and that's Kevin O'Connell, formerly the uh, off- the Los Angeles Rams offensive coordinator. And when I look at a running back that I want to, you know, somewhat compare skill sets to, I have to look at Daryl Henderson from the Rams. No doubt. Last year, Daryl Henderson finished fantasy as the RB27 in PPR. In terms of receptions, Daryl Henderson had 29 catches off of 40 targets. He only had 176 yards and three touchdowns, so that could be more indicative of his own talent. Yeah, I was going to say, like, if you want to look skill set-wise... Dalvin Cook is... Tears, tears different. It's, it's levels. Right. I mean, like, if you were to combine what Cam Akers and, uh, I mean, obviously Cam Akers didn't start until, like, the like last end of the year. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, like, if you want to look at more of a skill set, I'd say what Cam Akers did in the post or in the playoff run is more indicative or what Delvin Cook could see in the regular season, if which he was going off. If you're Kevin O'Connell. And you have all these weapons, and Adam Thielen, who we'll get to, Justin Jefferson, who's my top three player in fantasy this year. No doubt. And all the other guys that are available on the Vikings. When you look at Daryl Henderson's workload, he saw about 150 rushes last year. Is a really even split workload. And K-Makers, obviously, was supposed to be the guy. He went down. Uh, but even when he wasn't, he was kind of more of that downhill guy. right? Daryl Henderson would go out into slots and catch balls. I think Alexander Madison has the potential to really uh, step up in this offense in a contract year. For sure. He's somebody that is my personal sleeper. I love Alexander Madison. We personally made a trade for Alexander Madison that I'm already regretting. For sure, dude. I, I snagged him and I love it. I gave I got J.D. McKissick and gave away Alexander Madison because I needed a running back to play this year. Mind you, this is in a dynasty league where uh, Alexander Madison is uh, full five years yeah. younger. Ooh. Oh, you are the smart one. But nonetheless, I mean... It happens. You know, we all have our moments. We all get too excited. Right, man. I, I think that he definitely... Alexander Madison could see uh, extended workload this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Doug, one thing I just want to touch on before we get off the Vikings, though. What about this fucking uh, trade with Jalen Rager today? Like, dude, that was kind of crazy. I didn't expect them to pick this guy up. But mind you, like, if you look to pass... Into the history of the world, the annals of history. Whoa, calm down, Jamal. Don't pull out the nine. Jalen Rager was picked one pick before Justin Jefferson, and now the Vikings have both these motherfuckers on the same team. Let me ask do you, you, do you. No, let me ask you this. Oh. Let me ask you. Okay. Do you think that right now on the Vikings that he is a good hold, or do you think that you can start losing hope because he's already on his second team before his first contract's up? You have to hold at this point. That's I mean, fair. you hold and you you don't hope for injury, but if an injury occurs throughout the season, then he can maybe show what he's what he can do. But I mean, three years and he kind of is what he is. Like for sure. I don't know. I think that even in, in a bad system, those guys will show that they're those guys at some point. So what I wanted to ask you about was Adam Thielen. Bro, I think Adam Thielen right now, like he's coming to the end of his contract. I think that he's, especially if they have K.J. Osborne still on contract and stuff, I think that Adam Thielen can probably be the two for the next couple of years. But you have to see them drafting someone in, like, the early second or late first, I would assume at some point, just because of the way that they like to use, you know, like, high-caliber wide receivers on that team. So I think that, I mean, long-term, Adam Thielen's probably not the best play. But I would say in redraft, Alan Thielen is going to be a good option just because 
when you look at how the Rams utilized a two wide receiver system last year, it seemed like obviously they favored Cup, but nonetheless, like when uh, Robert Woods was there or when uh, OBJ was there, they still saw a good workload as a two. They go in the middle of the field a lot. They do, man. The, the twos in that offense going to the middle of the field a lot. And, and that's kind of, that's like Dylan's bread and butter because he doesn't mind taking a hit. Like, he'll catch the ball regardless. So what I want you to compare Adam Thielen to is like Robert Woods or Odell Beckham to where they run a lot of slants, they run a lot of post routes, and, um, you know, they might not get those breakaway catches. Odell obviously got a couple because he's just one of the most athletic athletes in the world. Right. But uh, Adam Thielen's getting older. He's going to be running a lot more physical routes. He's going to be doing a lot more blocking. And I think that he's somebody that he's going at a decent value. But And I'm not trying to jinx him. I don't wish this upon him. But I think right. that he might be someone who could, uh, you know, he's either going to see an inconsistent target volume or he's going to be set up to, you know, really take a beat in this year. No doubt. I, I just think that right now, like, at one point last year, Robert Woods was also a wide receiver one on that Rams team. Mm-hmm. So, like, we can't forget that. So, yeah, who would have thought that it could have kept happening throughout the rest of the year? But we have to realize at one point that system was able to, you know, feed two wide receiver ones. Mm-hmm. All right, let's quickly go over the Lions. I don't really have much I really want to talk about. One thing I really want to nail home, though, mm-hmm. if you are drafting – I really recommend picking up a Jamison Williams while he's hurt. Like, I'm not necessarily sure where this guy is going. I think he's going to play this year. Well, he's going to play this year, but if we're talking like a 10 team league, you might be able to slide. You might be able to slide by him being in free agency, but I would really recommend picking this guy up probably towards the end of your draft and just throwing him in an IR slot and then going back once uh, the draft is over and picking up someone who is going to be able to be utilized for the first eight weeks of the season while this guy is down. So that's one thing I really want to nail home with you guys. I think that's a very smart decision. If we're talking 14 team leagues, this guy's usually going around like the 13th. I think it's also a smart decision to do that with him as well. I think that this guy is going to be a touchdown machine once he does get healthy. So that's just my two cents on the Lions. I don't really want to talk about much else on the Lions. Do you have anyone you want to talk about? Amon Ross Brown is going way too high. Amon Ross Brown is going way too, way too high. Don't take him in the sixth round. Last year, Amon Ross St. Brown went for 90 catches with 912 yards and five touchdowns. Yeah. Naturally, when you bring back a healthy Hawk, a healthy DeAndre Swift, you add DJ Chark to the outside. At some point, Jamison Williams is stepping in. Unless he goes absolutely nuclear in the first, you know, two to three to four games. Right. Uh, I'd assume he's going to stay around that five touchdown number. Okay. But in terms of reception and yards, I see him taking maybe 10 hits and receptions to around 80 catches. And I could see him finishing with about 850 yards. Okay. Last year, that was, uh, you know, that was good enough for him to have a decent year. Yeah, he, he ended up as 21 in PPR, right receiver-wise. Yeah, I can see him being closer to maybe the 30th best receiver in all of fantasy football. Okay. And uh, right now, he's going more so towards the, you know, middle to low tier of the 20s. No doubt. So, he's somebody that I, uh, I'm i not super, super high on. DeAndre Swift is another guy I like. Catches, runs. He's someone who I think is, uh, you know, ultra talented. Am I taking him at the end of the first? You got damn right. Goddamn right. Damn, dude. I don't know, really, because 
One thing that I really know is that they really like using Jamal Williams. And yeah, people were taking, you know, Aaron Jones sometimes at the late first, early second, back in the heyday when Jamal was the handcuff to him as well. But I just think that if I'm going to be taking DeAndre Swift comfortably, it's probably going to be at like the first, or I'm sorry, in like the first part of the second. Mm -hmm. Like, I just think... Him in the first is a little too sweet just because, I mean, I don't know, man. Like, especially if we're talking 10-team league, like, I'd, like I'm like i much more comfortable taking him in, like, that uh, first part of the second. I think that's where he would rather land. Yeah. Or where he would land at least in a 10-team. Mm-hmm. So, I would probably be comfortable with DeAndre Swift's current ADP, I guess, if he's going in that, uh, like, the first part of the second. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't know, man, like, he kind of, not necessarily creeps me out, because, like, that's not the right word, but, like, I always just get, like, a bad feeling, mm-hmm. because I first drafted him when he was a rookie, and he ended up getting hurt, and it kind of bit me in the ass. Yep. So, yeah. Wasn't great. No, and, like... Wasn't great. Never so, great. So, back-to-back years, he's only played 13 games, and he hasn't surpassed being past the top 15 running back. So, like, that just kind of freaks me out why we're drafting this guy in the first mm-hmm. or in the uh, second, uh, early second. Like, it just, to me, it doesn't make sense. I would rather take this guy probably, if it's a 14-team league, I'd be comfortable taking him in that uh, early second spot, I'd assume. Yeah. Just with increased workload, everything like that, being healthy, hopefully. Mm-hmm. But, like, I just... I don't know, man. Like, I just feel like there's other value out there. Like, I'd honestly rather take, like, Saquon just because I know that he doesn't have a handcuff like Jamal Williams. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And, um, you know, I like him a lot, too. I don't love Jamal Williams this year. He's undraftable for me. And I want to run back to just my Amon Ra, Sam Brown point. I called him, you know, around a wide receiver 30. I'm going to correct that after looking at things. I think he finishes below wide receiver 30. I have him closer to maybe 35-ish. Okay. Uh, right now, he's actually being drafted, at least on sleeper, as around that 27 to 28 mark, which is closer to that 30. No doubt. Uh, but regardless, like those guys, Hawk's another guy, top 10 tight end, lock oh, it in. I love Hawk, dude. Gotta love Hawk. And that brings me to another tight end, who's actually a little bit south, and he's on the final team from the NFC North, and that's the Chicago Bears. Who's the tight um, end? The tight end is going to be Cole Komet. I'm not going to lie. I'm just out on the Bears this year. Like, typically in years past, I've never drafted Bears. I'm kind of on the same train. Unless, like, I get to around, like, 14 and I haven't drafted a quarterback, I'll probably take Justin Fields. Uh But, like, I don't see a situation where I haven't drafted a quarterback in the first 14 rounds. Listen, if I'm in PPR, I like Darnell Mooney a lot because I think he's going to be hyper-targeted and he's going, you know, pretty damn late. In terms of Bears players, I only like them if I can get them a couple rounds after where they're currently being projected. Cole Komet's the only guy I would slightly reach on. So right now, Cole Komet's being drafted as around tight end 12. So he's in between Alberto, David Njoku, Mike Kosecki, Hunter Henry, that kind of crowd. Yeah. And so Cole Komet, obviously because it's tight end, you just like any tight end who's going to get targets and potentially, you know, a steady amount of catches. No doubt. And I think he kind of fits into that bucket for me. So he's the one tight end, or I guess the one player for the Bears. I'm cool, you know, getting at his current value or even reaching around on. Yeah, I mean, right now, I'm, if we're talking 10-team leagues, he's probably going towards, like, the bottom half of probably, like, 
the eleventh. Yep. I would assume. So yep. like I I would probably dig that value at that point. I mean, at some point, I would have to just ask myself if I think that David Njoku, who is on, I would say, at least a smoother offensive scheme, could possibly get a little bit more work just because he's getting drafted around the same area. But nonetheless, I think that Cole Komet is going to see targets just because there aren't great wide receivers on the Bears that really are going to steal much value other than Darnell Mooney. Like, he's going to see probably 180 targets this year. Like, this guy, as far as value-wise and fantasy, Darnell Mooney's probably a good bet. Just on a personal level, I don't like him. So, if you're in any sort of drafts with me and you're thinking, oh, is Dugo going to snatch this guy? I sure won't. Dugo, you want to make a bet? What's up, dog? You just told me that David and Joku's in a similar situation. I would say so. I mean, like, I feel like his offense hinders Cole Komet's abilities to an extent. I mean, if they're down by a lot of points when they pass. Yeah, they would be, but I think the Browns as as well also are going to be passing a lot because I don't really know if Jacoby Brissett's going to be that guy for them, but I think that they have a better offensive line and they'll at least be able to run the ball. That's David a fair Njoku, point. That's a fair point. David Njoku will at least be able to get off some of the play-action routes. I mean, you got to hope to God that Justin Fields has three seconds in the pockets to get the ball away. So a good point about the offensive line is that if the Cleveland Browns and David Njoku have a better offensive line, there's a potential that David Njoku won't have to flank as much. He'll be able to just run an outright route, and they'll have their five linemen down there, and they won't need that additional help. When you look at somebody like a Cole Komet, if the Bears suck at blocking, if their tackles are average or below average, they're probably going to need to involve their tight end in more blocking schemes to help protect the quarterback, and he can run, you know, three receiver sets. Well, hey, they just brought in that leatherhead from uh, the Raiders. Who got released a day or two before. <laughs> yeah, he was a former first-round pick, though. From the Raiders. Bro, he might just turn that offense around. Who knows? But, Who knows? Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, So that is something I actually take into account, and that's a great point you made. I like Cole Komet more. I want to bet you $10 that Cole Komet finishes ahead of David and Joe. So I, I don't feel comfortable making that bet, but I wouldn't be surprised if David Ojoku does actually uh, end up uh, just surpassing him by a tad. Another person that I really have a lot of thoughts on, Dalton Schultz out of the Cowboys. What are your thoughts on this guy? Because obviously they're missing the wide receiver one from that team. So they're going to have to dispose of those targets somewhere. Do you think he's draftable? What do you think about Dalton Schultz, bro? Dalton Schultz is a bust. You think so? So right Big now, buzz. Right now, I would assume in a 10-team league, this guy's probably going around like that late 5th, early 6th as far as tight ends go. Dalton Schultz probably going around, I'd say, tight end 6 or 7. I think that it's honestly pretty good value just because, personally, I think that those targets that I was just talking about that went to Amari Cooper, I think that, like I said, they have to get dispersed somewhere. And I don't know if Jalen Tolbert, Michael Gallup, who might be injured for the first couple weeks, I don't know if those guys are going to be taking them, especially when C.D. Lamb already sees like 150 targets a year. I think that Dalton Schultz is going to see more extensive work than what we've seen before. I want to make a point about Dalton Schultz that I want you all to sit down, listen closely, turn off any other electronics, turn off any other audio, and I want you to hear me clearly. 
Dalton Schultz finished the 2021 season as the tight end three. Yes, sir. That's that's amazing. That's what we want in any investment at tight end, right? If you're not drafting Pitts or Kittle or Andrews, tight end three is a fucking gift. Right. Dalton Schultz last year saw around 104 targets with 78 receptions. Yep. He had a really interesting statistic of around 10.36 yards per catch. Yeah. He averaged the first down a catch. You look at the scheme last year, obviously Amari Cooper was hurt a fair amount of games, but he was there the majority of the season. No doubt. Amari Cooper draws coverage out to one side of the field, and you or you would be goddamn to say that CeeDee Lamb also doesn't draw coverage out to his side. No doubt. Michael Gallup was a part of that offense. They had three above-average wide receivers, and that opened up the middle of the field for Dalton Schultz so fucking much. Right, right. But when I look at Dalton Schultz and I look at what's in store for him this year, you got to guard C.D. Lamb. Ezekiel Elliott's kind of on his last legs. You stack the box against the Dallas Cowboys and you put your best cover C.D. just 100% of the time. That's probably your best bet every game with the Dallas Cowboys. Especially that offensive line, which is, you know, it's average, but it's kind of starting to come apart. Tyron Smith just left their left tackle. Probably the best lineman they have on that team. Well, he didn't just leave. He just he got, he got injured. injured. But he's not going to be available. When I look at Dalton Schultz, I do see an influx of targets. I see his volume potentially going up. I don't think that his yards per catch is going to stay at around that 10 yards, 10 yard mark. I see that dropping a couple of yards. Okay. And when I also look at his uh, his touchdown number of around eight, I'm, I'm going to bring that down by maybe a touchdown or two. That's I think, fair to say. I think six touchdowns, 650 yards on, you know, around 80 catches is a reasonable expectation for him. Mm-hmm. He'll still finish in the top 10 of tight ends. But when I look at him now, he's being drafted as, you know, approximately tight end five, tight end, tight end six. Mm-hmm. I think he ends the year closer to like that tight end number, tight end 10 number. And those kind of guys, because of the disparity at tight end and where they get drafted, you can grab one of those dudes three, four, five, six rounds later. Well, I mean, I don't disagree with uh, what you said as far as, like, drafting guys a little bit later. But I do think that Dalton Schultz, honestly, I think he could have another top five tight end year. Just because, like I said, yeah, like, Amari was hurt before, like you had noted. But nonetheless, I think that at some point he's going to get his share regardless and, I mean, if Mike McCarthy wants to make him a vital part of the system because it makes Dak a little bit more comfortable to hit those, uh, you know, just dump-offs or it's a bigger body than just, you know, these uh, wide receivers who are 6 foot and 100 pounds. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah, maybe if a tight end who is 6'4", 250 is going out to take this pass instead and he's just a little bit more comfortable, mm-hmm. I could just honestly understand I, I can understand that because, like, when we think about, like, the Chiefs, why does uh, Travis Kelsey get so many checkdowns and stuff? Not only is he just a viable, you know, like, just a target asset. Like, I, I shouldn't really be comparing those two. But nonetheless, like, I think that Dalton Schultz can do the same thing for this team. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, you know, like, Dak Prescott is a hell of a quarterback as well. And with his decision-makings, you know, like, Obviously, like, when it comes down to, like, checking down to a tight end who possibly just gets onto the flat, yep. and he's able just to do a little bit of work, make one person miss, and he possibly could go for a touchdown. King of the shake and bake. Bro, Dalton Schultz can do a little bit of shake and bakeage. I, and also, one thing that a lot of people kind of don't talk about, as much as we made a meme about it at the end of the year, Dak Prescott 
he's not a bad runner. Mm, yeah, he'll he'll scramble. He can scramble as much as you don't want it to happen within like thirty seconds of the fourth quarter when you're down. Like Dak Prescott can actually run the ball a little bit, and I feel like his fantasy value of you know right now I think he's going around what like quarterback ten probably. He scrambled a lot less last year than he has throughout most of his career. Do you think it was because of the offensive line just being a little more steady, or what do you think that was for? I think it was because he had so many weapons that he had to stay in the pocket and make sure his weapons got the ball. No doubt. So, last year he ran for about 146 yards, and most years he runs for about 300. Okay. So, he saw a little decline with that. This year, who knows what happens. Tyron Smith being out could force him to run more. But last year he finished his QB8. I have him projected to finish around that same number. Simply because I think that the Cowboys are going to be forced to toss it up. For sure. He's always been a pretty efficient passer. The reason I was down on Dalton Schultz is because I see a higher level of volume, but I do see a... And naturally, obviously, you'll see a regression in efficiency. Yeah. But I think that he sees a little bit more of a severe regression. I just feel like after coming off that ankle injury last year, I think it's just going to be a little bit more comfortable for him to run a bit more. Mm -hmm. And so that's just why I think his rushing numbers could go up just a tad, like maybe another 100 so you might be looking at like 250 for rushing next year. It, it just adds another wrinkle to the offense that people don't necessarily think about. And it's just points that people don't necessarily think about either at the quarterback position, I guess. That's, you, just, that's just one thing that I would like to add about Dak. Do you think that he can help C.D. Lamb be a top five wide receiver? I honestly do. Like right now, right, he's uh, getting drafted around like that early second C.D. Lamb. Mm-hmm. I, I like that for him a lot. Like... Especially with um, Amari gone, we're still debating on whether Michael Gallup is going to play that first game or not. I think that C.D. Lamb could absolutely be a target hog. Like what we saw within like the Texans with uh, D-Hop could honestly be what uh, C.D. Lamb is for the first couple weeks before Michael Gallup gets back. Yeah. I, I really do think that he could see like 25 targets a game for the first couple weeks. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And I think CeeDee Lamb is somebody who's going at a great value because he is a second-round pick. No doubt, man. Uh, I think that he's going to see a ton of volume. I see him being closer to where Stephon Diggs finished last year, where Stephon had 163 targets. Okay. Uh, You know, last year, CeeDee finished with a few less. He finished 2021 with 120 uh, targets. Yeah. I could see him easily getting 40 more throughout the season. Yeah. And, you know, I have him in that range of being maybe if not a top five wide receiver right there on the edge Mm -hmm. and that's an amazing value if you're getting him at even the beginning of the second round i agree if you get him on the flip in the second round and you've got a first round pick and you're like me and you just play it safe you get a guy like cd lamb who obviously has upside that's a really nice team right there just to start off it sure is yeah especially if you can get like one of the top running backs and then like you said on the flip get a wide receiver of the caliber cd lamb it's unreal some of you started off like that in last week's draft yeah i um, mean so he ended as wide receiver 19 last year obviously amari was working there a bit you obviously so you think that he could take that jump 14 spots ahead like yeah. what do you think about so one person that i do have some really good upside with, I think, is Tony Pollard. Okay. Like, what do you think that happens with uh, Ezekiel? Because I just think that Tony is going to see some receiver work, kind of like how we mentioned with Aaron Jones. Mm-hmm. Do you think that with that, Ezekiel Elliott might take a hit, or do you think that Zeke is still going to be a top 
like time running back as he always is. Well, I think a lot of guys in that offense are going to see an increase in you know target volume. Okay. So Ceedee Lamb is obviously one of those one of those guys who's going to see a big increase. Tony Pollard's another guy who Jerry Jones sat on first take and said is going to see an increase. They're going right. to make sure to get him the ball in space. So last year he had around thirty nine receptions. It wouldn't surprise me if he ended the year next year at around fifty five to sixty. Okay, I like that. Last year Tony Pollard finished as RB twenty eight in PPR. I could see him finishing as a you know nice RB two. Uh, we're talking about him getting potentially some extra receiving work if Zeke does end up being less efficient, which he's been the last few years. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about him getting way more receiving work with, with, you know, receiving work comes more yardage, comes more touchdowns. Especially in PPR. And in PPR, you get you get points for those catches. Even right. in half PPR, you know, an extra 20 catches is an extra 10 points on the, on the whatever. So No doubt. Pollard season increase. I like Zeke where he's going. End of the second, beginning of the third. Get him when you can get him there. I think that he makes any team better. If you're getting him as your RB1, I think he's the last guy in the rankings that can be considered an RB1. No doubt. I can agree with that. No doubt. Like, you can't expect RB1 production out of anyone afterwards. Like, Javante Williams, love him, but don't see him finishing as the top 10 top ten running back. Bar an injury, right? Right. I mean, you can get Tony Pollard, and so 10-team league... You could probably assume you can get him probably around like the 8th or ninth, maybe even 10th in some cases with Tony Pollard. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's an absolute steal. And you can stash that guy, and you can even utilize him in your flex, I feel like, in most cases. I mean, obviously, when it comes to 10-team, you're probably drafting more studs. I think that this guy is definitely one of those guys that you can stash for a bye play. And if not end up just being a regular flex in your lineup, Tony Pollard. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going 17 picks before Tony Pollard. That's ridiculous, dude. I have no faith in CEH, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I hate him, dog. Fuck this shit, I'm out. So, I mean, overall, you know, I don't know. I think that... CEH is like one of those guys to where I don't really want to invest any heavy capital into him. No, not at all, dude. I'm cool if he's like my RB3, then I see the upside, but he's not someone I'm really actively looking to get. I like Tony Pollard way more. Yeah, absolutely, man. I think another running back that has, I mean, who's honestly getting drafted around the same value as Zeke that we were just talking about, Saquon Barkley. Saquon. Dog, do you believe in this guy this year, or are you still just out? I mean, he's been hindered by injury the last couple of years, and then he's obviously just been hindered by being on a terrible fucking team as well. Do you think that he's the bright spot in this offense, and do you think that he can stay healthy? Saquon was, I think, the RB34 in points per game last year. Right. They went out and they added, you know, Evan Neal in the drafts. Yep. Brian Dayball has come in. They've added pieces around that offense to try and help them in that facet of, you know, running the ball. Right. I can't predict Saquon. I'm staying away from him. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'll happily be wrong. Mm-hmm. But I have a theory in which when you get to those kind of risky players who require significant draft capital, they haven't really performed. This this is for Christian McCaffrey, too. Okay. It's one of those situations to where I'd rather take the safer pick, and if I'm wrong, then I'll accept being wrong. No doubt, man. I feel like that's kind of where I'm at right now. I mean, it's not necessarily the same thing, but, like, with David Montgomery, just because he's on the Bears, like, 
I just want to stay away from it, dude. Like, yeah. it's just one of those things. You, you don't need to embrace every risk that presents itself in fantasy football to win a championship. Right. Like, if you take the safe pick and let's say, the second round instead of taking Saquon, who could potentially, you know, serve you unjustly. You could have Aaron Jones instead. You could get steady production. Your team is solid from, you know, the rounds in which, you know, you draft those high upside players, which is one through four. Right. And if you have a solid one through four, you know, draft, and then you start taking a risk later in the draft, you're setting up the core and the base of your team to be consistent, to be successful. And that's typically enough to at least get you to the dance. Right. And then your team management throughout the season is what's going to win you the dance. No or doubt. That's, that's what's going to leave you as the last man on the floor, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to cut the ship, but do you have anyone else from the Giants that you really want to talk about? I feel like... Absolutely not. I think that Tony has some decent upside just as a receiver because I think he's going around like the 6th or 7th. I, I feel like maybe in 10 teams he might be going even later in like the 8th maybe. But I think that... Tony has at least some upside because I think he's going to be the wide receiver one. And one thing that I always preach, as much as I hate it with teams that suck, is wide receiver ones on teams that suck at least score you points. Like, they aren't going to be wide receiver threes that, like, just go absolutely off some games and then see absolutely zero work. Like, obviously, there's times when they can get absolutely locked down. But I feel like on average they'll still at least see their targets and they'll at least get some receptions. I would take Terry McLaurin over every single New York Giants positional fantasy football player. You're goddamn right. You're not wrong. I mean, other than maybe I I could probably see myself taking taking Saquon before Terry if I needed a running back just because I don't trust Carson Wentz at all as a quarterback. Like, oh, the Carson Wentz hate is about to come out. Bro, I forgot. Bro, I ain't gonna talk about him much more, but Carson Wentz ain't worth a bag of fucking chips. He hates Carson Wentz. We know that. Uh, on the Washington football team or the Washington Commanders, on the Washington Commanders, there's not a lot of players that I really want to invest significant capital, you know, into either. Right. Uh, Terry McLaurin's my guy. If I had to take someone off that team, Jahan Dotson, the other Ja, the one and Jah- only. Former Penn State receiver is a guy, and he may not develop into his full potential this year, but I think that Jahan Dotson is someone that you can go out and get in the 10th, 11th, 12th round, and he can possibly pop out as a nice wide receiver three, at worst a nice flex. You're probably not wrong with that assumption, and I mean, he could even just be a really good just by play, and he's just a stash. Like, I mean, I feel like there's going to be some sort of upside. I mean, they're going to be down, I think, a lot. And it's not going to be because of their defense. If you're looking for a decent defense to have, honestly, it might be one of the top ten defenses, so I could see you drafting them. But I think that just with their uneven quarterback play, I mean, the Colts had a really good defense last year, it seemed like. And it seemed like Carson Wentz let them down time and time again. So... If you guys go back to episodes somewhere between one and five, you'll see our takes on Jahan Dotson when he was in college and what we thought of him coming into the league. Right. He was a first-round pick. Didn't see that coming, by the way. He broke a lot of records previously set by former alumni like Allen Robinson and uh, Chris Godwin. Mm Mm-hmm. And that team and that current regime invested into him. 
They didn't invest in the Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin, they kind of got grandfathered into. I think that he was drafted by the Ron Rivera team. I, I truly do believe so. He was taken in 2019? Yeah, I think Ron Rivera was there. If I'm wrong, I, I apologize for giving you guys misinformation. But I think I say all that to say that I really do think that this team wants to see Jahan Dotson perform well. Same for Brian Robinson. They want to change the culture. They want to get this team, uh, you know, into a winning organization and franchise. Right. And I think Jahan Dotson is going to serve key for that. Outside of Dotson, outside of McLaurin, I'm staying away from Gibson. I'm staying away from Brian Robinson. I'm staying away from J.D. McKissick and redraft. Like, I don't really want another piece. I don't want Carson Wentz. I don't know if you do. Bro, I just think that's humorous to say just a couple days away from our trade that we had. I traded for J.D. McKissick because I'm in a situation on my dynasty team where my RB2 is basically Michael Carter. My RB1 is Josh Jacobs. It's not pretty. And, uh, you know, you just need a guy who can play every week to get your points. No doubt. I mean, I just feel like that's something, like, that you'd find in redraft. Like, trying to find someone this week and not for the future. It was a bad trade. So, nonetheless, I just think that's a little humorous looking back on it. But one thing that I do think is humorous as well is how high people have in Miles Sanders right now. I don't like Miles Sanders at all this year, folks. Stop drafting him so goddamn high. Honestly, keep drafting him because I'm going to keep taking Kenneth Gainwell in the fucking 10th and 11th round. 9th round. This guy is so dank. I love him. Like, if you're talking Miles Sanders in the 6th, give me Kenneth Gainwell in the 10th, bro. Like, that's where the money is made, I feel like. I think that Kenneth Gainwell is going to be the starter by the end of the year. Do you think Kenneth Gainwell has as many catches as Devontae Smith? No. No. I don't I don't think that's a possibility. I think that Devontae Smith... Honestly, we could see two wide receivers with just about 100 catches this year. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibilities. You think so? Just because when you think about... I guess, I mean... There's two dominant wide receivers, and they have, what, Zach Pascal as maybe the three? The three right now. And they have Dallas Goddard, who actually did end up being tight end 11 last year. I think that he could definitely see a a bit of an uptick. He's currently going around the seventh round. Yeah, he's going after TJ Hawkinson for tight ends, at least, in a lot of drafts. Right, but back to uh, Devontae Smith. I think that both him and A.J. Brown, who they just acquired this year, honestly, I think that both of them could see right around 100 catches. Dude, people are projecting this Eagles scene to be really, really, really good. I, I believe it as well, and especially Jalen Hurts with his dual threat ability. I think that right now with him going, what, in like the sixth round some cases? Yeah. I think that he's a steal. If you don't have a quarterback within the first five rounds, I would just say if you're lucky enough to take him on the flip in the sixth, that's a great team that you're about to have with that alone. That's fair. That's fair. I. He's a nice wide receiver three for me. I think Who? that his – Devontae Smith's a nice okay. wide receiver three for me. I think he finishes maybe around like – uh, you know, like that 30-ish mark, closer to Amon Ross St. Brown, who we talked about earlier this episode. Okay. I think A.J. Brown's a really interesting target. He's perennially, or I guess he's perennially, like, hurt. Yeah. A.J. Brown's hurt a lot because he's more of a physical receiver that relies on his physicality. Right. You know, catching the ball at the catch point, kind of just 
bullying trying guys. Trying to get every yard after he catches totally. as well. He's hard to bring down. And, like, a lot of his shit comes from effort and physicality. Mm-hmm. Devontae Smith is more of, like, the smoother route runner. No doubt. And uh, I think that with A.J. Brown seeing, you know, obviously the best receiver like he's always has. Or like he always has. Best cornerback. Best cornerback. Like, so I think with situations in which A.J. Brown takes, you know, he takes on the CB1, the DB1, the best defensive back. And now Devontae Smith has more space to work. I think that A.J. Brown performs how he usually performs, which is, you know, wide receiver two-ish range. And Devontae Smith, um, you know, with the alleviation of talent having to cover him, I could see that guy finishing, you know, nice wide receiver three. Uh, low-end wide receiver three, maybe. So, like, where he did last year? Basically. I think, I no doubt, like, I think, obviously, he might see... So, last year, he had 104 targets. Yep. I wouldn't be surprised if he saw just a tick above that. So, like, maybe, like, 115. Mm-hmm. And, honestly, I could see this guy just creeping into that wide receiver two range for sure. He I really to, could. He has to th- – there needs to be some kind of a connection formed with him and Jalen Hurts because Jalen Hurts targeted, him, targeted Devontae Smith 104 times, and Devontae Smith caught 64 of those passes. Right. So you're talking about him catching close to, like, 62% of the passes. Well, I mean, you just got done saying that he was getting covered by the cornerback one every single time. So I think, like you said, with the alleviation of talent, I think that he definitely – could make a use of that and like we've said before about this guy he was a heisman winner this guy has all the talent in the world i think that this guy if he just didn't have a cornerback and a db always shadowing over him he can make a lot more things happen in space mm-hmm. and i mean i just think that he has all the upside in the world and especially going in like the seventh right now i think he could be one of the steals of the draft I don't know. I mean, I guess it's one of those things to where he, he's not a guy who I would think is going to drop a lot of balls. Towards the end of last year, he had problems with drops. Nick Sirianni had to address it in the media. Obviously, I'd assume that's something that he's going to work on in the offseason. I don't think drops are indicative of a of a receiver at the NFL levels, you know, uh, you know their ultimate future. I like those guys. You mentioned Dallas Goddard earlier. I like Dallas Goddard a lot. I think that he's a really safe tight end. You're getting them in the seventh or eighth round. I think he's a deal. I'm staying away from Miles Sanders. I think the guy that everyone wants to hear about, though, is Jalen Hurts. Dog, I think he's a lock. I think right now, if you want to get a quarterback, like we were just talking about, like kind of after that that first five rounds, if you want to get someone around the sixth, Jalen Hurts has to be your guy. I think that with his rushing ability and with the targets that he's now surrounded with and now, even now with a more solid defense that he's not going to have to be out on the field, you know, like just stressing every single time because they're giving up a touchdown or something like that. Like he can go out there and he can just kind of get cool in the pocket and do his shit. Like I think that Jalen Hurts this year is going to be, I would say a top eight quarterback. I would say quite possibly a top five like right now well last year he was quarterback nine i don't think that he's gonna see any sort of regression from that if anything he's probably gonna have a lot better of a season jalen hurts is going in between kyler murray and russell wilson and fantasy drafts this year you might know this if you draft the last weekend and you're probably getting to know this as you mock draft for the labor day weekend drafts when i look at jalen hurts you're drafting him, you know, around that sixth round margin. 
around that sixth round area. And you really need him to perform if you're taking him before Russell Wilson and he's the guy off the board after Kyler Murray. You need his rushing to obviously be there, but you really need him to take a step with that passing. People always make the case that a better passing quarterback is going to be less of a rushing threat. I don't think that's necessarily true. I just think that you can become more efficient with the opportunities that you do get to toss it up. Well, I mean, obviously, the one thing that you're probably missing in between Jalen Hurts and Russ is obviously like the leadership ability and obviously just like the experience that Russ has. But I think that Jalen Hurts just alone has more rushing upside. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we can talk experience all day and how much that matters and everything. But when we're talking just purely rushing or just purely fantasy numbers, mm-hmm. I think that just Jalen Hurts alone is a better is a better fantasy asset in that case. I really do. Yeah. Like, and especially, like I just said, like with the increased assets, like they have A.J. Brown now who's like this guy's best friend. Like, I just think that they're, his passing completions are going to go – a little bit better, and he's going to end up throwing a couple more touchdowns, probably even rush for, like, the same 10 touchdowns that he had last year as well. Yeah. Like, I think that Jalen Hurts this year is more of a lock than any, personally. Jalen Hurts was around the 10th best player in fantasy. He was QB9 on the 2021 year. Obviously, you add A.J. Brown, and you presume that he's going to finish better than that. I don't think that he had too much of an issue with completion percentage, I just want to see him with Devontae Smith, with A.J. Brown, to take that next step. And, uh, you know what I'm saying, go for over 3,500 passing yards in a 17-game season. I want to see him go for a few more passing touchdowns. Because, obviously, you have a run game where you can't score every touchdown on the ground. But uh, I do think that if he can take that step up, score more of those, like, you know, down the field, long touchdowns, increases, you know average pass from 11 yards or his average completion from 11 yards to maybe 12, 13, he can really start to take that step, that step forward towards being a top five quarterback. Uh, we'll have to kind of see and wait on what happens, especially now that Jalen Rager is no longer in the room so that, you know, wide receiver room just got a bit thinner. My, my last take on Hurts, I mean, last year when you saw this Eagles team, I would say that they probably started out more run heavy. And also, just the input in there, the guy only played 15 of the 17 games. So, I just think if he would have added two more games of, what, like even 20 points apiece, this guy from quarterback 9 probably could have been like quarterback 7. And that was in a year where they were super run heavy to start the season with. So, I think now that they're going to go into the season probably more pass heavy, I would assume, or at least more 50-50 than anything. I think that this guy has all the abilities in the world to be a top five quarterback. Lock it in. Yo, if you don't follow us on Twitter, I want you to go on Twitter. I want you to type in the search bar, the gumbo pod. And I want you guys to not only follow us, but uh, tweet at us. Let us know what you think about some of our takes from this week's episode. Uh, that is the NFC East. That's the NFC North. Appreciate y'all locking in for us for this longer episode. We did eight teams in 50 minutes. That's a dub. We out of here. This is Fantasy Football Gumbo. My name's Cha. Hey, I'm Dugo. Appreciate y'all tapping in. And uh, next week, we will actually be uh, hosting the episode on Thursday. So just as a heads up, from here on out, we will be hosting the podcast on Thursdays and no longer Fridays. Uh, the podcast will be dropping really early Thursday morning. I'm talking 1, 2 a.m. Thursday morning. And we want to make sure we get to you guys before those Thursday night games in which you have a lot of important decisions to make. Facts. My name is Josh. Dugo. 
talk to you all next week.